Hey, welcome to night school, Sunday night school. And I'm watching football right now. This is a first. I have football on in the background, so if I sound distracted, I am. But no, I don't care too much about these games. One of them is the Raiders, who, out of all the AFC teams, I always root for them. I would consider myself something of a Raiders fan, although, you know, Seahawks and Cowboys always take priority. And the Seahawks had a wonderful, just beautiful storyline type of game on Thursday. Truly one of the best, most gripping games I've seen in a long time. A game that, you know, lately, the last year or so when I watch football, I don't get that emotional. I used to get really bent out of shape. I used to get, you know, just very, it would just grip me. And I would be unbearable to be around. I didn't want to be around other people. I would just be so in it. And, and I would get so distraught and so excited. I would just yell. And I haven't been doing that as much, but that game did bring that out of me. It brought that part out of me where I'm just, I was screaming obscenities at certain times, at other times, you know, thanking God, thanking whoever, thanking whoever. Uh, but it was a, just a beautiful game. But right now, uh, rooting for the Raiders in this game, and then I just flipped it to the Patriots against the Redskins, which, you know, as much as I rally against this for lack of a better term, this whole, you know, PC culture, I completely understand why <laughs> why someone might be a little miffed at, at just the the basic premise of this game right here, where it's the Patriots against the Redskins, and we all know the Patriots are going to kill the Redskins. So I, I can kind of understand why someone might be offended by that. Uh, but, you know, as, as followers of this show know... I'm now a Patriots fan, too. I'm actually a fan of every single team. It's, it's the same exact idea as realizing that you are one with everything and, you, and that you are connected to everybody. You're connected to all your fellow humans and you are one with everything, every aspect of this existence. Part of that is becoming a fan of every single team. I'm a fan of every team now. No, not, not entirely. I'm a fan of every team until they play the Seahawks or the Cowboys. Uh, and then I'm, they're my least favorite team in the world for that hour of playtime. Hour of playtime. Uh, but uh, this Raiders game is taking place in London, which I don't like. I don't like this whole push, this whole cash grab of the NFL trying to promote itself in England. It's bad for the players. It's, they have to deal with traveling over the ocean. Over the ocean... And they have to deal with uh, whatever it's called. Like, what's it called when when you your sleep time gets all fucked up because you went to another country? Uh, whatever that's called. I just don't like it. It's just it's such a blatant marketing. It's to me like that's like the the lawn care guy throwing rocks in plastic bags with a business card onto people's driveways to promote his business. To me, that's what the NFL is doing by having a game in London. It's basically the NFL putting a rock in a plastic bag and throwing it overseas to London. Don't like it. But speaking of London, speaking of England, I finished the Silmarillion the other day. Finished it yesterday. I guess that's the other day. Yesterday can be the other day because it's not today. Uh, Silmarillion, Silmarillionaire. I'm sure someone's made that stupid fucking joke. I hope someone's made that stupid joke. I hope I'm not the only one. It's bad enough that I made it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I actually finished the book. And you know, 
I'm doing these book report episodes lately, and I feel like you should really finish the damn book before you actually talk about it on a podcast. Not that it affects anything I said on that recent episode where I did talk about the Silmarillion when I was like a quarter of the way through and I talked at length about it. But you really should finish a book before you you document your thoughts on it, maybe. Unless you just unless it's just all about the journey, not the destination of, of a book. Um uh, but yeah, it did pick up. It was I felt like it was a slow, dense burn all the way throughout. It was you know, it was a you know, you packed too fat of a bowl and didn't break it up before you hit the thing. So it was a slow, dense burn. Uh up until the very end, but it did pick up momentum quite a bit. It did burn a little bit faster as it went, as it got closer to the time period in which Lord of the Rings takes place. It really builds up very nicely to the, I guess you'd call it the contemporary era of Middle Earth, the era that we are most familiar with. It really built up very nicely to that and had some very cool little stories that were a bit easier to read, a bit easier to follow than the initial cosmology cosmopolitan cosmology at the beginning of the book. But I want to go back to that, because that episode that I did, uh, that mobile episode, and and, you know, mobile episodes of this show tend to be the most half-baked. They're the most ranting, half-baked. You know, I'm walking down the street, walking in the woods, just yelling, basically, and I'm not necessarily thinking things through. They're, They're obviously the most impulsive. As you can imagine, grabbing your phone and using the voice recorder on your phone, because you just gotta say something. You just got to share your ideas. As you can imagine, that is the most impulsive, uh, <laughs> the most impulsive, uh, it's, it's going to result in the most impulsive form of this show, barely a pre-write, maybe a rough draft, you know, but warts and all, it's the approach of this show. Oh, Redskins are scoring. The Redskins just scored against the Patriots. Uh, hail the little man. Hail the, uh, what do you call it? The uh, the underdog. That's what I meant. Not the little man. The underdog. Uh, but uh, here, that's the distraction just coming through. But yeah, that episode the other day about the Silmarillion, like everything I said about the Silmarillion, I'll stand by. Finishing the book didn't really change the book report. And But you really should probably finish a book before you do a book report on it. Although that said, how many fucking times have you done a book report in school and done it without finishing the book? I feel like at least half the time, especially when I was in college and professors were always like assigning you things about like some, this is the story of like some Brazilian mom and her child and, you know, I'm not going to finish that. So I'll just read a couple sentences here and there so that it sounds like I read it. And then some classmate during the in-class discussion will be like, that's not what it was about. That's not what it was saying. I'm a good student. Uh, I feel like even if I did read the book and try to talk about it in college, there was always somebody who'd be like, that's not what it was saying during those seminars. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I mean, how many times, you know, did you not read the book and still do a book report growing up? I, I certainly did that many times, so... Why is it a surprise that I you know I made bad habits early on and now I'm doing it in the podcast format? Unfinished book reports. Although that's kind of a fun idea, the idea of just deliberately not finishing a book and trying to draw conclusions about it. 
story about everything in my life. It's the story of everything in my life. Um, but uh, going back to uh, that episode the other day, that mobile episode, you know, everything I said about the Silmarillion is fine, you know, despite not having finished the book at that point. I, I liked the using Melkor Morgoth as a, uh, a good leading off point to talk about all of my misgivings with music and musicians these days. But that's where I feel like it kind of dropped off, where I just kind of kept repeating you know, oh, music has jumped the shark in 2019, or maybe it jumped the shark a thousand years ago and I'm just late to the game. Uh, uh, you know, music sucks. Did you hear the music sucks? I feel like I stand by some of what I was saying there, but that was a really half-baked idea, and I don't feel like I really explained myself terribly well. And just to reiterate, you know, the idea in Silmarillion is that Melkor was one of these demigods, and he was a very skilled musician, but he started playing louder and his own music above the other demigods, and he created you know, the essence of evil in the Middle-earth universe. But it all started with his ego as a musician. And I feel like that's a really great, uh, you know, analog for the entirety of music, especially now, and just the the nature of being a musician, being someone in a band. Uh, It's just everybody is Morgoth, everybody is Melkor. And a great example of that, if you've seen some kind of monster which is that Metallica documentary that came out. It must have come out over 10 years ago. I feel like it's been out quite a while now. But it was a documentary about modern-day Metallica with their short hair. And they were, it was about them trying to record their new album. And it just it was just this ugly portrayal of what happens to musicians who used to be cool. And it's been a while since I've seen it. And most people have watched it as a joke. I know a lot of people, actually probably every conversation I've had with somebody who's seen that, who's seen some kind of monster, watched it as a joke. They kind of knew what they were getting themselves into. None of them, even if they were Metallica fans, nobody watched it. Everybody already knew the score about Metallica. I mean, the Napster thing had already happened with them years earlier. So we'd gotten a feel for, you know, the Metallica story. Nobody was shocked I don't think, when they watched some kind of monster. But not only was nobody shocked, most people I know that have seen that, be they Metallica fans or not, uh, watched it you know, as a joke. They, they knowingly were like, oh, let's watch this ridiculous fucking display of ego and aging and just everything that's you know, wrong with modern Metallica and the the out-of-control egos and just insecurities of of musicians and celebrities. Uh, But I recommend watching that as objectively as you can. I recommend watching some kind of monster as objectively as you can. Don't watch it as a joke. That doesn't mean you can't laugh. But don't watch it as a joke. Just watch it for exactly what it is. And think of it as an archetype. For all musicians, not just aging musicians, but because that 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 thing that you're seeing that like old Metallica aging Metallica isn't just Metallica in 2005 or whatever year that was that that was in them much earlier. All of that was there much earlier. And 
thank God you didn't have video footage of their fights with Dave Mustaine back when he was in the band. You know, the, the Megadeth guy was originally a Metallica member, and they had some sort of falling out, some sort of ego battle, because that's the same exact thing. That same thing was always there. Just because they were young and had long hair and were cool doesn't mean they weren't, you know, some kind of monster or, for the sake of this episode, some kind of Melkor, some kind of Morgoth. That was always there, and it's there with most musicians. It's certainly there in what I would call band culture, the idea of band culture, because that's a relatively new thing. People have played music since the beginning of time, but this whole idea of bands, what bands do you like? That came about, you know, in the uh, with rock and roll with the 1950s, the idea of like calling, giving your band a name more than just your own name, like even an extension, you know, it was an extension of like so-and-so and the so-and-sos, Johnny and the Rockets, whatever the hell. You know, as an extension of that, people just became the Beatles. And then finally you end up with something called Metallica. You know, it's, it's, it, music followed this progression. Oh, the Patriots just, even the score. Those Patriots, even the score against the Redskins. I'm sure glad the Patriots aren't the team that's playing in London today. I'm sure glad that, that we're, not, uh, we're not sending our precious patriots over to London. But just that idea of band culture, and, you know, it, it came about as part of the teenage revolution of the 1950s, and it just kind of escalated from there with rock and roll, and then the hippie thing, and, you know, all the 70s rock, and then the 80s, you know, and just, it's, we, and we now exist in this world where, yeah, you have, like, tons of rap and pop singers still and everything, and there's still a spotlight on these individuals, but bands are still kind of the standard format for. And the Patriots just missed their extra points, so they aren't. They didn't even the score. It's six to seven. Nothing like a nice missed extra point. Uh, but uh, if it's an extra point, then why do you need it? The bonus point. Uh, it's just extra. But you know, as as music has developed, we just we associate like that rock and roll, heavy metal. You know, it doesn't matter if it's you know heavy music or indie rock or anything else. But we associate bands with a group, even though there might be a singer or someone who kind of takes priority within the group and you know is the obvious prima donna or the focus. You know, there's still this element of the band, and everybody has their own little personality and their own traits and. I saw that a lot growing up, where it's like kids who loved corn, for example, would they would always be talking about the individual, and I wasn't a corn fan. I liked tons of crap. I, I, I'm not trying to make myself sound cool or anything. And now it's cool to like corn again or something, I bet. But corn, uh, uh, like a band like that, where every member, like, oh, he's like the, he's the wigger. The bass player's the wigger. Oh, the drummer's the, the this guy. And, you know, this guy's that guy. And everybody has their own, like... This guy has that personality. They have their own little identity. They're marketing themselves as individuals within the band. And that's part of the appeal because you'd have people who are like, who's your favorite guy? Even with boy bands, especially with boy bands, you would see that where each guy kind of had his own. This is the bad boy. This is the good guy. This is the ugly guy. This is the guy with the goatee. And, you know, if you knew girls, if you've ever met this thing called a girl, uh, the girls I knew who were into boy bands, each girl had, like, their guy, like, who they worshipped. Like, each one had, like, like this girl's into AJ from the Backstreet Boys, and her friend, though, is into, uh, you know, Brian or whatever. Uh, 
Nick, this one's into Nick Carter. So it's like you, you get into these guys. So each guy, like you have the band, and, but then you have each one as its own entity as well. And then the ego comes out of that where people do solo albums, this or that. But you see that to some degree, like I said, even in Corn, even in, you know, the underground, uh, you know, you see it everywhere. I mean, Kiss did it much earlier where it's like they each had their solo album. They each did an EP or whatever it was uh, of just them doing the music, just that that individual band member. And Kiss is a great example, too, where each guy has his own distinct face paint. He has his own distinct personality. He's the cat guy. He's the space guy. He's the demon. The other guy is whatever the fuck he is. Uh, he, this guy, this guy's the nobody. And, but you see that, and, and you even see that, though, you know, to some degree in the underground and just these different niche genres, you see where, like, the same, the same sort of ideas play out, but maybe not as obviously, but, you know, Metallica's some kind of monster, just to get back to that, all the little petty disagreements, all the emotion, all of that, that happens everywhere all the time in all bands, and, you know, you even say it, see it play out. It's not just a personality thing where everybody has an opinion, everybody has a reaction, everybody wants this or that. It's like you you even see it. You know that I think the best example of how everybody, every musician is Melkor, is in the same way that Melkor starts playing louder and doing his own thing above the other demigods in the Silmarillion. You even see that play out quite literally, quite sonically, in the way that every musician always wants his instrument to be louder. Like, if, if a band is mixing an album, it's like, I can't hear the guitar. I can't hear my guitar. I can't make my vocals louder. Oh, the hi-hat isn't loud enough. You know, My hi-hat is the, you know, the nuances of the way I, I hit the hi-hat are, are the best part of my playing. You got to turn that up. You know, it's like everybody wants their stuff louder. Meanwhile, everybody else is like, it's loud enough. It's drowning everything else else out. Your hi-hat is louder than everything else. And meanwhile, the drummer is like, I can't hear the hi-hat. You know, and it's just this, it plays out in so many situations. And you can say like, yeah, you know, oh, I, I know bands. I know musicians who don't do that. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you know musicians who don't do that. But the fact that this same thing plays out. The same sort of scenario plays out at every level of certainly band culture, but I think music in general. And it, it does play out in orchestras and symphonies, you know, the first violin, this or that. I was, you know, I was reading about that somewhat recently, like just the the competition that goes on within an orchestra and the sort of hierarchies that develop and certain people wanting to be louder, uh, you know, it, it happens even in that, even in an orchestra. I think maybe the only time it doesn't happen as much is maybe when like you have like a pop singer with a session musician in a studio where it's like that guy's just getting paid and he doesn't care. He knows that he's, you know, truly second fiddle to Lady Gaga or whatever. I'm just dropping all these names. I'm, I'm just trying to make sure I'm, I'm Trying to explain this, you know, I'm a youth preacher and I'm using people you know. Instead of telling you the story of Jacob, I'm like, it's like the story of Lady Gaga. It's like the story of Kiss. That's how a youth preacher talks, dude. It's like Jesus was this dude. Uh, but, you know, I think studio musicians in situations where someone just knows they're a hired gun... I think in those scenarios, some of that ego, some of that need to, you know, I want to be louder. I want more say. I want my opinion heard. I want my instrument heard. Uh, I want to write this song. 
How come you always write all the songs? Because you see that play out quite obviously when there's a songwriter, when someone is the songwriter, or when someone's the singer. You'll see it in band promo pictures where the singer is standing a little bit you know, further up than the other members. There are ways in which kind of this hierarchy is established within a band. Sometimes it's like, you know, this person is more marketable or, you know, you know, we just have ways that that obviously plays out and where people like obviously become prima donnas, like someone obviously becomes the Morrissey to the Smiths. Um, But it also plays out, you know, on a much smaller level. And I say this as someone with experience, with someone who, you know, knows you know, you know, lesser known musicians and things of that, like that, where it's like this kind of, these kind of mindsets do still play out. And that archetype of some kind of Melkor, some kind of monster, some kind of Morgoth, it still plays out even at these levels, you know, I don't know. And, and music's a great example of LARPing. You know, I know how much I love to talk about LARPing these days, all of the many ways in which people LARP uh, but, you know, music is a great example of that. And the whole myth that musicians are badasses. Oh, these guys are tough. They dress tough. They wear leather jackets. Metallica is a great example of that, too, where it's like, oh, they looked so tough in the 80s. They had long hair. They drank beer on stage. They wore leather jackets. Uh, they wore jean jackets they, they, with the sleeves cut off, so they were vests. Uh, and they, they were so badass, and then you see them as 45-year-old men. They're truly some of the most embarrassing people you could ever witness, and you see that even with bands like Black Flag. I remember, you know, that's because that's another thing that plays out is like Black Flag fighting over who gets to be Black Flag. I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was some sort of ego conflict with even Black Flag, this punk band, the hard-working punk band. Have you heard of Black Flag? Have you read Henry Rollins' book? They're such a hard-working, blue-collar punk band. Uh, Meanwhile, in 2006, they're fighting over... They had a robot bass player. I know that. I know that they didn't... um they didn't allow like their original bass player to be on stage. And at some point they had like a, like a recording of bass notes played through an amp on stage because of some sort of ego dispute between Greg Ginn and uh, the bass player. And, and and there was something too where they were even fighting over like who gets to be Black Flag, who gets the rights to it. I can't remember the exact story, but I when I first saw that article, I just thought the first thing that came to my head, I still remember this vividly, is it was an article about whatever dispute was going on within Black Flag in 2006. And I just thought to myself, musicians are truly the most embarrassing people you will ever come across in the arts. They are so embarrassing. And Black Flag is a great example of that. But you also see it like that reminds me of Gorgoroth when Gorgoroth was having some kind of conflict where like a a Gaul who was the most well-known singer, not the only singer they ever had, but he was trying to claim like he's the rightful heir to the Gorgoroth legacy and therefore he gets to tour as Gorgoroth with his own band of hired guns and then the guitarist who I think was the founder of the band was like, no, I get to be Gorgoroth. And it's like, who gives a fuck? You're both going to suck. The, the, the spe- Since you're fighting over this, the spirit of whatever you were doing when you made you know, your first number of albums isn't even going to be there since you're fighting over this. Same thing with Black Flag. Like, whatever spirit was there is fucking long gone. You are some kind of Melkor. You are both some kind of Melkor. And it only fits that, of course, Gorgoroth is a Lord of the Rings reference, too. 
you know, you, you named yourself Gorgoroth after the uh, the ridge around uh, Mordor. You should have just called yourself Melkor, which I think there's a band called that. I'm sure there's there's a band called Morgoth for sure. Um, some kind of Melkor, all you guys. Um, but just that sort of thing plays out in music more than anything else. These disputes over the rights to the name. A certain band member wants to be able to claim the rights to the, the name. The legacy is mine. The legacy of this band is mine. And imagine if like Die Hard, imagine if like the writer of Die Hard was like, I'm going to make the new Die Hard movie. Meanwhile, the director of Die Hard was like, no, I'm going to make it. The legacy of Die Hard belongs to me. And so we're going to have two Die Hards. We're going to have two two new diehards, and one's going to be made by the writer of the original movie, and one's going to be made by the director. And, you know, I am very ignorant about film, so I'm sure this kind of stuff that I'm talking about, these petty disputes, these battles of ego, I mean, we know ego battles play out all the time in the film industry, Uh, but there doesn't really seem to be as much of an opportunity to to display that pettiness for the world to see. And I guess that a part of it too is that people don't care as much. I don't think it's like people do like everyone always talks about actors, egos, you know, producers, directors. I think, I feel like people are very well aware of the egos in the film industry, but I feel like people just kind of pass it off because kind of everybody kind of hates them. Even though people worship actors and directors and people who make movies, I feel like everyone also kind of like acknowledges that prima donna aspect of it. Uh, Just something in the nature of, you know, Hollywood, the fact that it is Hollywood. Whereas music always plays this game where it's like, we're not just, uh, we're real art. We're not just uh, Hollywood glamour bullshit. We're we're not just pop. We're rock and roll, and that's what I mean too. Where there's this like idea that musicians are badass when they're not, and some of them are. And of course, there are badass musicians. But even then, some of those stories you hear about you know bands doing badass things, criminal things, and stuff. A lot of times, they were doing that just to get a reputation. They were doing it just for the cameras. Now, that's a whole other dimension of things. Uh, you know, they're so evil, they're so bad, and meanwhile, they, it's it's all art. They're all doing it for their art. Uh, but what I was saying just a second ago about how the idea that, like, people, part of the problem is that people care when musicians do this shit. Like, people will be like, oh, did you hear that, like, uh, Greg Ginn and Black Flag said this about the former bass player and the injured return? People love the drama of it. People get really sucked into the drama of it. And there's this pedestal that musicians are placed on that is very different from anything else. It's very different. And a great example of that is I was talking to my friend about whenever Joe Rogan has a musician on, it's unbearable. Like whenever Joe Rogan interviews a musician, it is so embarrassing. Like he talks to them as if they are some sort of like he talks about them as if they are a demigod. You know, speaking of the demigods from the Silmarillion, he talks to them like they are some demigod who has emerged from the heavens and sat down in his chair and. Uh, what's funny is the first time I realized that was when James Hetfield was on Joe Rogan, 
when he, the way he was talking to uh, James Hetfield was just with, with so much like admiration. And, and I'm not saying you shouldn't admire James Hetfield or any musician for that matter. There's a lot that's really impressive and admirable about musicians. And there's a reason why music and musicians have played such a large role in my life and influenced me so much. But I think it's because of that, it's, it's the familiarity breeds contempt thing, I'm sure, to some degree. It's definitely not envy, though. I, I have to say, any misgivings I have about musicians, it's not. It doesn't come from some place of envy, and it doesn't come from a place of wrath either. It's it's it just sort of it's embarrassment. It, I think it's embarrassment. It's some sort of like vicarious. I feel embarrassed for the way that people sometimes treat musicians and this and the way that musicians behave. You know everything. You know, and every aspect of it, from the way they behave in interviews, from the image they try to present but also to the way that people treat them as a result of that. And hearing Joe Rogan interview James Hetfield, it was just like, oh, this is, you know, hasn't he seen some kind of monster? Doesn't he know who he's actually talking to right now? And it, it's happened too in just about, anytime I see a musician on any podcast I like, I feel like this is what plays out, where I'm just like, this is embarrassing. There's something just so embarrassing about this interaction, this interaction. And uh, some kind of Melkor. You know, it's funny that the, that I first noticed that when Hetfield was on that podcast, uh, because it plays perfectly into what I'm saying here, you know, some kind of Melkor. And it, I think part of it, too, is the fact that everybody secretly has a rock star fantasy, or w with my generation, they have a singer-songwriter fantasy. Uh, but everybody has this secret rock star fantasy, even other artists, even other celebrities. I remember noticing that as a kid. It was like, oh, Johnny Depp, he's you know the, the most one of the most famous actors, but he's got to have a rock band. And he's like, well, my real passion is, is my band. My real art is my band. Meanwhile, it's like your band is just as much of a, you know, you're, you're acting... You're just you're still just acting. You're still just LARPing in your band, bro. Uh, you know, and I, I don't know what his band is like. I can't remember. I didn't pay that much attention. I'm, I'm kind of speaking out of turn here, but but the point still stands. I remember seeing Kevin Bacon, the Bacon Brothers, perform a song, and it was a song called Ten Years in Mexico." And I just remember thinking, "Oh my God!" You know, Kevin Bacon, Ten Years in Mexico. Did he spend ten years in Mexico? Because that's the thing about music too. I think that plays into all this and the ego is there's a lot more in, in the acting and the LARPing is you can lie through music and nobody ever calls you on it. Like when I was growing up, kids on the playground used to be like, "Oh, did you hear that song?" Like, and they would always think that the song was about something that the, the band really did or that the singer really did. It was like, "Oh, that song's about like heroin." He must. Oh, yeah. And it was like finding out that Green Day was named after like the first day that Billy Joel, Joe, whatever the fuck his name, Billy Joel, <laughs> is it is it Billy Joel? I guess Billy Joe. Uh, uh, but hearing that Green Day was named after like the first time Billy Joe smoked pot. And he was just so profoundly affected that he named his band Green Day. Like, that's embarrassing, you know? And and But kind of cool in a way that Green Day is named after something that silly. Uh, you know, because Green Day is such a serious band. Um, I'm just dropping all the pop culture. Lady Gaga, Green Day. I'm like, I'm one of you guys, dude. Come to church, dude. We talk about Green Day and Lady Gaga. Lady Gog, Lady Google. Lady Google. 
Uh, it's a reference to the very first Every Night to School Night episode, Lady Google. Um, but, uh, you know, so it's like there's this idea, though, that like bands, are they're always just, oh, they're badasses telling these like crazy life stories. And the same is true for country artists as someone, you know, speaking of Every Night to School Night, my semi-forgotten radio show that this show is a part of. Uh, you know, a lot of those country songs, oh, like this guy, uh, he's just a worn down old alcoholic, you know, and it's true. There are a lot of country musicians who died of alcoholism or had bad drinking problems, but there's also a lot of LARPers then as well as now or outlaw country. Did you hear that, uh, Johnny paycheck got arrested? And it's like, is that just part of his, his musical persona? Cause it's just like the pro wrestling thing where I've talked about how, you know, with pro wrestling, which is LARPing, uh, how, their real personality sort of blends with their wrestling persona and you don't really know what's real. And the same thing happens all the time with musicians. Musicians are exactly like pro wrestlers where these things bleed together and somebody starts doing something because they want to enhance their musician persona, their artist persona, and then they do get arrested or they do develop a drinking problem and then uh, you know, this reality does come to come to be, but it wasn't necessarily who they were to begin with. Uh, but even in songs and stuff like musicians are liars, you know, but people will give them the benefit of the doubt. You're allowed to sing about whatever you want. You can almost be a journalist in a way when you're a musician and you can sing about whatever you want as if as if it's your story or as if you're the expert. And I don't have any problem with that. That's, I mean, that's what's cool about music. I mean, I listen to music that sings about, you know, swords and sorcery and shit, you know, and it's like, I love that stuff. And I don't expect, oh, that guy's never actually like cut a dragon's head off. You know, I'm not going to say that. You don't have to be that, you know, and God knows, you know, I, I hold, you know, I can't even hold myself to that standard. I'm a LARPer. I'm a LARPer too. Uh, but it's just one of those things where I feel like musician allows you to lie a little bit more. And then, but people who do other art forms, like like I was saying, like, you know, it's like actors will be like, well, my real passion is actually this band that I started when I was 30. It's my real pas passion. My real passion is rock and roll. And the fact that so many people do have this secret desire to be a rock star or this secret desire now, I'd say, to be a singer-songwriter, to be Leonard Cohen. Uh, I, I would say that that, you know, impacts the way that people treat much more established musicians. And it's why like Joe Rogan acts like a, you know, a puppy dog whenever he interviews a musician. It's because he's never done that. It's very foreign to him. And it's this sort of esoteric, strange art form to him that, that he can't quite comprehend. And he probably does secretly pretend he's Jimi Hendrix when he's driving down the street, because that's something people do. People sing along to it. I mean, yeah, there's really annoying people who watch their favorite movie and like say every line out loud. But people sing along to music a lot more and kind of role play that they are the musician. They play air drums. There's this fantasy that people have. And that's okay. I'm not like trashing every human being because we all do that. Uh, but it is, it's just an interesting thing. And uh, it's, it's part of the pedestal we've placed musicians on. And so the fact that musicians have become Melkor, it isn't just their own being. It isn't just them being like, I've got to come up with this persona to make my band cool. It isn't just, I want to be higher in the mix. Hey, producer, hey, hey, producer, don't tell the other band, but turn the bass up a little bit louder. 
you know, because even the bass player, you know, even the drummer, even the person who, you know, is just in the background, whatever, even they want their shit to be heard. And so it's, it's just an interesting thing that plays out. And God forbid you know someone who's decided to start make, making music late in life and, and, you know, subjects you to it. Like, no, listen to this, listen to this. And, you know, we all have to be supportive of our friends. And I, I sound like a bad friend, and I probably am to some people. But you also, I feel like you're also a bad friend if you hold friends hostage to your stumbling through the wild world of music, you know, because I feel like music more than anything else is something that friends hold friends hostage with. And friends become, don't let your friend become Melkor to you. Don't let your friend become Morgoth and hold you hostage with uh, his music. Uh, and it, what's funny is that happens too, like very quickly once a kid, uh, like like a teenager gets his first guitar and a week later he's like telling everybody else like what gear they should buy. And then he can't listen to a song with his friends without being like, oh, I, th- I think that's a C chord. Oh, yeah, he's playing a C chord there. It's like we become these egotistical monsters like the week after we get our first guitar. And I know a little stuff, something about this personally, too, because I would never call myself a musician. I would never call myself a musician. Uh, but I've been in bands. I, I've made my own music. I've had you know, involvement with you know, obscure music, I guess you could say, and that kind of thing. I would not call myself a musician because like, I can't listen to a song and play it. I struggle with with the actual I don't practice enough and you know but I'd like to think that you know when I put my mind to it I can do what I want to do with a musical instrument or with recording equipment and I'm happy with some of what I've done in that regard but I would never call myself a musician and that's not a way to say I'm not trying to say now that I'm not Melkor because the crazy fucking thing is just like that teenager who gets his first guitar and a week later he's Melkor uh Uh, The next week, he's James Hetfield. Just like that, even though I don't consider myself much of a musician, I'm still Melkor. I'm still as bad and worse than a lot of people I know with regards to, like, ego and just all of the things that I'm talking about in this episode. And I'm just a nobody. I'm not a musician, and I'm a nobody, and I'm still Melkor. And that shows you how insidious this shit is at every level. And, you know, Tolkien didn't even realize it when he wrote Silmarillion. I doubt he realized it. But in using that example of, you know, evil being created the second that, uh, you know, Melkor started playing louder and out of uh, out of key with everybody else, that's so perfect because it just it plays out on every level as above, so below. You know, Melkor is up there above in the heavens, you know, he started out, you know, doing his own thing and he fucked everything up and it plays out even with people who are nobodies and not musicians, you know, even they become Melkor. Even the guy who has an app that allows him to like pre-program beats with the click of a button, even he probably is Melkor. And that kind of plays into that last episode, one thing I was saying about how, you know, we live in an age where more people are making music than ever. And if more people are making music, and even the people who aren't musicians, who just have some fleeting relationship with music, if even they become Melkor, then what does that mean that everybody is making music? Because I do think there is a certain... uh, 
a certain utopian ideal that we have of music where it's like everybody from the tribe is gathered around the, the, the communal fire playing their instruments in harmony, which is sort of what Tolkien envisioned with the initial Vanyar, like all playing their instruments in harmony in the heavens. Uh, that's kind of what he envisioned first. That's kind of how we, I think, envision a tribal society creating their own music and everybody's doing their part and playing their instrument. And maybe there is that sort of utopian ideal of everybody having their part, everybody playing their part and doing it in harmony. But I would say even back then, I would say even in the village, even in the ancient village where where the town comes together and harmonizes around the fire during festival, I would say even then Melkor was probably among them. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I, I would like to imagine this has probably played out since the beginning of time to some degree. But the fact that now we are exposed to so much music and that even being a DJ makes you Melkor. Even a DJ is Morgoth. You know, because a DJ is a whole other weird thing where you're playing other people's music, but your ego is the one who's invested in it. You know, because even being a record record collector is even just like wanting to subject people to your playlist. Even having people in your car and forcing them to hear your music makes you Melkor. There's a level of ego with that because we all know how music fans are. We all know how record collectors are where it's like, my taste is better. It's just, you know... I, I even though you like the same thing I like, even though we like the same records and bands, like my taste in it's a little bit better. Oh, I want to control the playlist. I'm a DJ. I'm going to I'm going to make you listen to other music that I didn't create, but by standing there in front of a DJ setup, it becomes about me because I'm Melkor too. Even I can be Melkor. Uh, you know, it's the crazy thing about it. And this might sound really harsh. It might sound really bitter. It might sound jaded beyond belief. And it certainly is. I wouldn't deny that. I wouldn't deny that there's a bitterness and a, a jadedness. But all of this is directed as much at myself as it is anybody, if not more. And I'm not a record collector. You know, I'm not somebody who likes to subject people to my own music, even though this is, Every Night's a School Night is a pseudo-radio show. Um, it's voluntary to listen to it, you know? It's not me, like, DJing a club. And I don't have any problem with that. I, I always have to say that. I don't have any actual problem with that. This is just, like, philosophical shit I think about. And musicians do rub me the wrong way at every level. And I rub myself the wrong way when I find myself doing these things or thinking this way. Because some kind of Melkor is me too. Some kind of Melkor is probably you too. The band you too for sure, but also you. If you're involved in music in any way, you are also probably some kind of Melkor. And I don't know why it is that this affects music so much. Because as I've said before, you know, I said in, in, the, in the more half-baked version of this episode... I don't have this same feeling with visual art, even though I'm very involved and invested in, you know, at least, you know, the creation of, of visual art, even though I consider myself a visual artist, probably above all else. I don't have these sorts of thoughts about visual artists, even though I, I find a lot of, you know, artists, painters and everybody somewhat pretentious and like I can't read an artist statement without rolling my eyes. 
uh, I still don't feel like it's as deep and insidious. And I, I think there's a reason why Tolkien didn't say that, oh, the Vanyar were a bunch of painters just painting God's image in the heavens at the beginning of time. And one of them started doing, you know, because how would you even explain that? How would Melkor be a painter? How would Melkor be an illustrator? You know, I don't think that Melkor would uh, would be able to disrupt the universe and manifest evil quite as easily if he was just drawing. And it's like, oh, he started drawing something different than everybody else. The Vanyar were a bunch of demigods at a, uh, what's it called, a life-drawing class. They were drawing a nude figure, and he started drawing something else. You know, you, you can't really create evil by doing that. Uh, whereas I feel like if you're playing with music with a group of people and suddenly you want to be louder or, you know, whether you want to be literally, you know, sonically louder than them or whether you want to be louder in spirit, in your personality, in the way you present yourself in a band, it doesn't really matter. There's something about music that allows for that just complete, you know, embarrassment of ego and petty conflict and some kind of monster, you know, in, going back to the actual documentary, some kind of Melkor. There's something about the nature of music and bands, and bands have highlighted that. Bands have brought that out. And I think the reason why I, you know, I said 2019 specifically isn't because I feel like this is new, that, that music makes me feel this way. It's that, you know, I think it's the culmination of, you know, band culture now being just so ingrained in our world for decades you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's become, it's just so deeply ingrained in our concept of music and the way music is presented, the way music is made, that I think that's a reason why I'm pointing this out now. And I think it's also that it's much easier to make music with computers and, you know, it's much easier to expose people to your music with the internet and, it, we have so many different ways that we can force people to listen to music, that we can become the DJ. You know, we can force people to listen to our music while we're driving down the street, get the loudest bass, let people know that a young man is driving by. Did you know a young man is driving through your neighborhood? You'll know because in the confines of your own home, you'll hear my thumping bass. See, we even do it there. We're even Melkor while we drive. We are Melkor while we do just about anything these days. You know, if you've ever had a coworker who forces you to listen to their playlist, it's like, I'd rather listen to silence than the shit you listen to over and over again. Uh, you know, you're being Melkor in the workplace, Melkor in the workplace, Melkor in the car, some kind of Melkor everywhere you go. You can't even go to a grocery store without, you know, somebody picked a playlist. It's coming out through the speakers. Oh, you thought you could, oh, you know. It's going to be so much better if you shop for bananas with music playing. It just makes things so much more pleasant to shop for bananas, to pick the right, the right bunch of bananas. You know, I, I just, when I'm trying to choose the right bunch of, of bananas, not too green, not too yellow, definitely not too brown, I, I just want the right playlist coming through. And maybe I'm getting just extra, maybe I'm going too far with this by being like, they shouldn't even play music in public. They shouldn't even play music at the grocery store. But it, it just feels like you're subjected to it everywhere you go. And unless you're someone who just truly loves all music, you're going to be exposed to a lot of music you don't want to hear. Uh, even watching football. This is the first time I've ever watched football on silent. And I haven't been paying attention, so I should actually 
I, I, I do want to watch football like all day today, so I should stop talking and wa- start watching. I'm being Melkor. Even doing a podcast makes you Melkor. <laughs> and I'm not talking about every night's a school night, but I feel like, no. If I start going into like even expressing yourself at all as Melkor, which I feel like I've kind of done before, I feel like I'm, gonna, I'm on a slippery slope and I don't need to go there. Let's just stick with music today about how music makes you some kind of Melkor. But the Raiders are up 14-0, to which is good news because I want the Raiders to beat the Bears. London or no London, I would like the Raiders to beat the Bears wherever they're at, whether they're on our shores or the shores of those Redcoats. Uh, but, uh, and the, the Patriots game is still 7-6. I like the narrative playing out there. The Patriots against the Redskins. It's the, uh, you know, we're, we're going back to the 1800s all over again, the 1700s. Uh, but uh, going back to the 1700s when not everybody was uh, Melkor. No, I, that's what I don't know. I would have had to have lived then to try to weigh in on, you know, whether the modern age truly is worse, whether there truly are more Melkors, whether there are more Morgoths today. I like that music it starts with an M. I feel like the word music naturally harmonizes with the words Melkor and Morgoth. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't have any more to say. I feel like I said it much better in this episode. I'm glad I sat down and talked it out. And I recommend watching some kind of monster and think about Melkor while you watch it. And don't act like, oh, ha ha, look at what happened to Metallica. What a joke they are. Because it's very easy to do that. Think about those young guys. Think about young Metallica when they were making, honestly, great albums. I love early Metallica. Uh, It was a foundation for me. Uh, I got into Metallica pretty young and went through a phase where I I didn't really care but revisiting Metallica later, I'm like, they were fucking great. Uh, but they were still Melkor then, and they're Melkor even more now. Uh, but when you watch some kind of monster, don't delude yourself. Don't, don't think, oh, this is what happens to people when they get famous and cut their hair and uh, hate Napster. Oh, this is, the, this is what happens to people when they oppose downloading free music, is they turn into these embarrassing middle-aged men with short hair. No, that was always there. The capacity to become that was always there. And we're just lucky that there wasn't a documentary about their falling out with Dave Mustaine. You know, if we had seen that documentary, if you'd seen what happened when they had their falling out with Dave Mustaine, it would have reflected very poorly on Dave. And it would have reflected uh, equally poorly on Lars and James and the boys. Uh, that same thing was there then, and what that thing is was Melkor, some kind of Melkor. If you like music, keep liking it, man. I love music. Despite all this, you know, nothing is going to take me away from music. Uh, But, you know, I do keep this stuff in mind because I kind of had this feeling deep inside about all this stuff that was going for a while. Like, all of this has kind of been building for a while, and I didn't really know what it was. And it turns out reading The Silmarillion gave me a point of reference for all of it. So thank God for that. Thank God for that slow, dense burn, that fat nug that is the Silmarillion. Because it gave me a whole new point of reference for ranting and raving about music. Some kind of Melkor. (laughs) 
This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free 